In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever into the ages of all ages. Amen. So how does that Christmas Christmas carol go? You better watch out, you better not cry. You better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, right? He's keeping a list, he's checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice, right? And guess what? I have good news for you today. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's coming to SMSK next week. But I have even better news for you. The news I have for you is as good as Santa is, God is even better. God is, for the lack of a better word, God is gooder. God is more good than Santa Claus. I have to tell you, my children's favorite character in the universe, shy of Jesus, just shy of Jesus, just a pinch shy of Jesus, is Santa, right? And, and, and Santa is the embodiment of all good. But even Santa's keeping a list, and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and who's nice. Last week, we talked about this expression that I only learned in my adult life in the workplace called above reproach. And I told a story about how I learned it. I won't necessarily tell that story again today because I'm going to tell other stories today. Um, and um, this idea that God holds us above reproach. If reproach was this line, shame was this line, badness was this line, God holds us above that and I really, I really pray that we can all leave here thoroughly convinced to the, the depths of our soul that God holds you above reproach, that God is not keeping a list. He is keeping a list. He's just not keeping a list of the naughty things, that God is not keeping a list of the naughty things, although... <clears throat> Uh, sometimes that seems to be how we imagine God. I remember, I remember going to confession many, many times, many times on a monthly basis, over and over and over again, going to confession and mourning the same repetitive sins. And I remember, I remember my saintly, you know, father of confession would pray for me and he told me God forgives you. And I would believe him that God forgives me. At a certain point though, his telling me that God had forgiven me was somehow no longer a consolation. Somehow it had lost its solace. Somehow it lost its, its soothe. It was no longer soothing for me to hear that my sins were forgiven. I don't know. I asked him, Father, am I, do I take it for granted that my sins are forgiven? Or why am I no longer comforted? You know, by you telling me that God has absolved me, God has loosed my sins, he has loosed the bonds of my sins, my iniquities, and he has cast them far away from me. Why? Why is that not comforting me? And I was still in tears. And he said to me, he said to me, John, you still look sad. And I said, yes, I am. And he said to me, but I'm not sad. And I said, well, that's good for you, Father, <laughs> but I'm sad. And he says to me, but God's not sad. And I said, that's fine. That's good for you and good for God. But I'm still sad. I'm still sad that I, that I know that I'm going to be here in a month and I'm going to be saying the same thing 
all over again. And I feel like I'm, I feel like, 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 this is just the same thing over and over again. When am I going to change? And when this and when that? And he said to me, God is not, God isn't fed up for you. God is happy for you to come again in a month. And to hear the same thing. He just wants to see you again in a month. Come back and confess in a month. And I said to him, God might not be fed up of me, but you're going to get fed up of me. He said, did I say anything? I'm not fed up of you. Here I am. I'm here. I'm available. You know, people sometimes say that to me and I tell them I'm on salary, you know, right? So like, you know, like, you know, whether you, know, you come five times or 10 times or once in a month, it doesn't matter. Nothing changes for me. I'm just joking, of course. And then I said it. Then I said the deepest truth, right? Is that God's not fed up. My father of confession's not fed up. Who's fed up? I'm fed up. I'm fed up. I'm the one who's keeping a record of my wrongs. I've shared this with you a couple of times before, so share it briefly. How is it that every time I fall and get up, God gives me a second chance? Like, how is it always a second chance? So suppose, suppose we're friends, okay? I lie to you, I break your trust. You forgive me and you say, don't do it again. And I say, I won't do it again. Then you give me a second chance. You don't have to. You could say, look, friendships are based on trust. You broke my trust, get out of my face. You could say that, but you don't. You give me a second chance. Suppose I come and I break your trust again and lie to you again and you give me another chance. What would we usually call that? We'd call that a third chance or a last chance, or right? Why does God always call it a second chance? Because it's like the first time you ever messed up. There's no record. There's no record. <laughs> record. Santa's keeping a record. Santa's keeping a record. And Santa's as good as they get. But I know somebody even better. And his name is my God. And he is not keeping a list. In fact, he likes to tear up the list. He takes, he takes distinct pleasure out of tearing up the list, throwing it up in the wind, and poof, it's a magic trick. It's gone. It's gone. When you come, when you come and confess your sins, right, you call the demon's bluff. You call the demon's bluff. There were two duck hunters in the 19th century in, in Western Georgia, right? So plain, plains, lands of plains. And uh, while they were in the, in the plains, they heard crackling. They both looked at each other and they're like, what is that? And they, the, the sound didn't go away. And I was, what is that? And then they looked in the distance and they saw smoke rising and they realized this is a brush fire and they saw the fire advancing on them faster than they could possibly outrun the fire. What did one of the duck hunters do? He searched himself, he found a pack of matches, he lit every match and threw them into the brush around them. They ducked and held, and held themselves 
put handkerchiefs on their noses to protect themselves from the smoke, they're not going to outrun the fire. But by the time the fire came, there was a big burnt-out area all around them. The fire passed right by them and didn't burn them. When you come to repentance and confession, but we're going to talk more about that next week, right? You call the demons. You call the demons bluff. You call the demons bluff. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God is keeping a list. He is keeping a list. He's keeping a list. You know how we know he's keeping a list? In the book of Revelation, he says that every baptized person's name is written in the book of life. He's keeping a list. You know how else we know he's keeping a list? He says, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciples, truly, I tell you, that person certainly will not lose their reward. He's keeping a list of every charitable deed that has been done by you, no matter how small, he's keeping a list. But he's certainly not keeping a list of wrongs. Why? Because God Almighty holds you above reproach. He holds you above reproach. He holds you above the brush fire. He holds you above the tsunami of evil thoughts and shaming, condemning voices. He holds you above reproach. He erases the memory of sin. One of my favorite verses is in Psalm 103. As far as is the east is from the west, so far has he removed our iniquities from us. As far as is the east is from the west, so far has he removed our iniquities from us. Psalm 103 verse 12. Think about that. How far is east from west? That is as far as God has taken and distracted all of your badness away from him. Isaiah 43, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You think God is doing you a favor? God is saying, I'm not doing you a favor. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for me. God is telling you, I don't want to remember. I don't want to remember. Why do you want to remember? Why do you want to remember when God himself is saying, I don't want to remember. I have blotted it out. You know what this word blotted out means? I'm going to date myself here. In the olden days, like my daughters tell me, in the olden days, Daddy, when you were a teenager, right? In the olden days. In the olden days, we used to write with this thing called a pen, you know? Right now, we just type, right? Teaching my daughter how to write cursive, and I'm thinking to myself, like, why? Why are we doing this? <laughs> when is she ever going to use this? Anyways, she'll know, right? But... And if you made a mistake with a pencil, you could erase it. But with a pen, what did you do? You used liquid paper, right? And you blotted it out. Something opaque came and covered it 
so that it could no longer be seen. It was only known to the author who wrote it and to the person who blotted it out in the event that they're different people, right? If they're the same person, then it would only be known to one person. In this case, it's the same. They're two different people. I wrote the story of my life of which there are all kinds of sins and horrific things, and the Lord Jesus Christ has come and has put his, his blood-dripping wrist just above that spot and has blotted it out with his opaque blood better than any liquid paper. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Their sin I will remember no more, and I will teach them myself. I will make myself known to them. I will reveal myself to them. The Lord loves to show us himself. He loves, he loves to give us the knowledge of himself. He loves to have intimacy with us. He loves to hold you above reproach. He loves to see all of the good in you, which is a reflection of him because we're created in his image and likeness. Nothing good is of me. I am a worm, but not a man, says King David in the Psalms. Right? But all good comes from him. All good comes from him. And so he loves to see the good in you. It's a reflection of him. Why should he be obsessing and nitpicking about the bad? Recently, I had a friend, poor, poor, poor friend of mine, um, got head lice through an unfortunate circumstance. Now, <clears throat> this friend of mine has beautiful, long, very, very thick hair. I can't, apparently there's a couple of different brands of like the stuff you can treat your head for head lice, right? Um, if you get head lice and you have thick hair, word to the wise, don't do what this person did. Don't get the one that's on sale. Get the one that's like, you know, pay, pay full price, you know, right? Anyways, so the product that she, that she happened to get, you needed to wash and then you needed to pick the lice out, right? And only then when she was describing to me the hours and hours of picking did I understand where that, where the term comes from, nitpick, you know? You have to meticulously, meticulously go hair by hair and pull the lice out. Like, you know, don't get that medication, get the other one, get the one that kills them, even if it kills your hair a bit or whatever, right? But the, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if you have thick hair or shave your head or do something, I don't know. Anyways, I'll leave it to you. I'm not an expert with head lice, but the short of the long is, can you imagine God? That's the term nitpicking. Can you imagine God going through your life hair by hair, second by second, minute by minute, dissecting, trying to find all the nasty little nits, all the nasty little sins. I, I'm disgusted even thinking about this, you know? I'm disgusted. You know, if God did that with all 8 billion of us who are on the planet currently, and then those who came before, and all those who come, he would be the most miserable being in the universe. Why, why do we think that God 
is like, why? Why? Although everything he says is to the opposite. Everything he says is to the opposite. God is delighted to what does he do? He overlooks our sins. St. Paul says it so beautifully. Acts 17.30 Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he calls all men everywhere to repent. How does he refer to my sins? Ignorance. Ignorance. The priest, when he's praying, before he receives the offering, before he chooses the offering, he says, may this offering be for my own sins and the ignorances of your people. May this offering be for my own sins and the ignorances of your people. He never says, you know, may this offering be for those nasty sinners out there. Right? No. May this offering be for my own sins and the ignorances of your people. Right? And if the people are ignorant, whose fault is it? The priest for not teaching them. Right? And the absolution, and the absolution that's said in confession, we say the same thing. We say the same thing. And for all the ignorances of your people, truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked. He has overlooked them. But now he calls all men everywhere to repent. St. Peter, in his address, um, after receiving the Holy Spirit, and the place is shaken, and the mighty wind comes, and, and, and there's all this, right? And, and he speaks to the people, so, so, uh, people are gathering from all over Jerusalem to see what's going on, and St. Peter steps out, and he speaks to them. He says to them, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God wants to give you and me times of refreshing. God wants to give you and me times of refreshing. God wants you and me to have a time of intimacy. You can't have, you can't have good, healthy intimacy with somebody when there's still stuff in between you. We've got to deal with the stuff. Right? So God has dealt with it. God has dealt with it. He's told you, I've, I've overlooked it. I'm beyond it. I'm past it. In Isaiah 43, I love this. In Isaiah 43, he says this. He says, put me in remembrance. Come, let us contend. Come, let us fight. Let's arm wrestle. Right? Come. Come, let us contend together. State your case. Come, state your case. That what? That you might be, if I go before the Judge Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, Almighty God, and I state my case, what's going to happen? I'm going to be condemned, right? I'm going to be condemned, right? No criminal goes looking for the Judge so he can state the case, right? Every criminal, you know, I mean, should go and hand themselves over and so on, but most of the time they, they flee, they run from the law, right? God is saying, put me in remembrance, let us contend together. State your case that you might be acquitted. That you might be acquitted. He's saying, I'm the judge. And before you state your case, I've already, I've already made a verdict. I've already made a verdict. And I'll tell you what the verdict is. The verdict is you're acquitted. Just show up to the courtroom. Show up to the courtroom so we can dismiss this case and I'll go out for lunch. Right? Show up to the courtroom. He's saying, come, put me in 
remembered, stop running away. Stop running away. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. I have so, so many more verses. I have like 20 more verses to share with you. But we don't have, we don't have the time for that. We don't have the time for that today. But I have to tell you, God holds you above reproach. God sees anything that you could possibly be blamed for, and he has already found a way to overlook it. He has already found an answer to the accuser, to the opposer. Who is the accuser? Who accuses you? Who stands before the throne of God accusing you day and night? You? No. Sorry. Yes, maybe half the time. But like you sleep too, right? You know? Not day and night. No. There's one even more vile than the condemning thoughts in my heart that stands before the throne of God accusing me day and night. His name is Satan. God has had ample time He's had, he's had ample whining from the enemy about all of the sinful things I've done. Well, John did this, and John did that, and John did this. So he's had good practice. He's had good practice. Day and night, he has somebody whining to him about me and all of my sins. He's had good practice about how to answer all of those things. Leave it to him. Leave it to him. You, what, what do you have to do? Very simple. Repent. Don't judge. Forgive. And abide. Enjoy in his, his love. Enjoy His forgiveness. Enjoy His grace towards you. We, oftentimes, we receive the gift of God and we run. We're in this kind of drive-through culture, right? We don't just sit and stop and stay and abide and wait with him. Someone asked an elderly Christian lady, concluding now, I'll finish with a story. Someone asked this elderly Christian lady, does the, tr does the devil trouble you about your past sins? She answered yes when the inquirer asked, what she did then, she replied, oh, I just tell them to go east. Person asked, well, what do you do if they come back? She said, I tell him to go west. And what if he comes back? Then I tell him to go east again, right? And the person said, and what if he comes back from west? What do you do then? She said, I just keep, I just keep him going from east to west. As far as is the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed our iniquities from us. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.